Hey y'all, so With Love Divorce has guests this week. Two of three of my best friends have joined us. So suit up, it's the best friend recap. Let's go. Play Brooks. Um, I am from Rhode Island originally. Um, lived in Georgia for almost, almost 10 years away from my family and friends, but then I came back. Can't wait to leave again. Love y'all, but I'm out. Um, and I have two kids, Zaire and Zahara. Um, I've known these two ladies since ninth grade at Feinstein High School on Elmwood Avenue, very little tiny school. Graduating class of like 35. Um, <laughs> but that's where we met and we became friends. And we, goodness, um, from Fiza's mom bringing us dancing all around the city to Fatu's mom making us Jola Price and like chilling in her house and going on joy rides in the car. Like we just, we've been friends for a while. <laughs> so you too. You gonna go, Fatu? Yeah. You want me to go? All right. Um, I'm Michelle Fatu Stewart Bennett. That's my government. Um, I am a Rhode Island native, Liberian background. I am, like Chaplay said, we've been friends for since ninth grade, so for some 20 plus years. And we've been going strong with our ups and downs, but we sisters, so family tree bends, but it never breaks. You know what I'm saying? And um, yeah, so got five kids. Well, six actually, including my niece, who we are taking care of right now. So yeah, it's pretty. It's been a long, long road, and um, I'm just so grateful and honored to be on this podcast with my BFF. And how long have you been married? I've been okay. So I was married twice. Go ahead and tell the first marriage. Okay, the first marriage was sour, and that was for like a good five and a half years, um, divorced, and then I remarried the love of my life. Come through. My my chocolate boy wonder, <laughs> vanilla boy wonder, <laughs> and we've been married for seven, seven and a half years. We've been married seven and a half years, so, you know, and I just bless God for him. He is a God sent, and I bless God for him. Yes, Brother Marcus. We bless God for Brother Marcus. So, um, so my name is Faiza Marshall. Um, I have four beautiful children, and my husband. We've been married this year. This is going to be fourteen years. Um, I um, okay. So let's see. So, um. I homeschool and I actually homeschooled um, before the epidemic for five years. Um, my um, passion was to education, and um, as a Christian, it was really important to me to um, establish those um, foundations in my children. Um, so now I get to do it again very differently, but I get to 
Michigan. And um, my background, my college background is community development. So I worked um, in social services um, off and on for about uh, 2007. And um, I love being creative and I love art and music. And uh, my family is very multicultural. My husband's Liberian. Um, my family is a little bit of everything. Um, so we just love the arts, love being creative. And um, yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, Fiza, yeah, like I said, I admire, I admire her ability to homeschool her children. I would never. I didn't freeze either, I just paused. I would <laughs> I would never. I would never. But now we forced to do it. So we should have yeah. we should have done it when she was doing it. <laughs> because now we don't know what we're doing. Right. Yeah. But Loki, I'm still like, didn't they teach you that already? Why y'all know that? <laughs> so about that homeschool life. I'ma be real. I'm not. But um I'm thankful for both of you. I admire so much about both of you and I thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, and I believe that both of your experiences, um, both marriage and before marriage will be able to um uh bless somebody so um and i didn't say how long i was married i was married for 11 and some odd and half years um yeah that's it um <laughs> so i got to say about that amen um he, everybody every, my audience knows that's my that's my dude um all right let's get started so tonight we are talking about Avery or Abram and Sarah, right? So that's what we, that's what we decided on. Um, and I want to start off with what your thoughts are about how trauma, um, and you don't have to, you don't have to go into your own personal trauma if you are not comfortable doing that. But I want to know how trauma affected both of you and your choices in life and like relationships. And then we can like, progressively move into the rest of what we're going to talk about oh. well how long do we have yeah how long because that could be a long well what is because because honey you could go all day go ahead and give us the uh, br the abridged version amen so i'll, I'll okay. go no i'll go first um <clears throat> so for me um, I had childhood uh, trauma, so, um, and then my father passed away when I was young, so I always had, um, I always struggled with self-esteem issues, and so that would go into relationships, and so I never really had a standard for myself going in. I just, it wasn't even something I thought about. It was just whoever showed me that attention that I thought was loved, and I was hooked. And so, obviously, that caused for, caused for a lot of mistakes. Um, and so, you know, I had my, my oldest son who is 16, um, that relationship wasn't healthy at all. And, um, but even before that, it was a lot of, just a lot of mistakes from in relationship to men. Um, because I just didn't have, I didn't have the understanding of like who I was in Christ. I didn't have understanding of just who God made me to be as a creature. You know, and that no one is any better or any less than I am. Um, and then I would say, um, just struggled with speaking up, struggled with um, 
say no, struggled with um, a lot of different things. My, I, I, it, it caused anxiety, it caused depression, it caused, because of, I was cold so much in. Um, and I'm still not like super comfortable speaking and all that, but um, I'm at a point in my life now where I can do it. It's just, I, I like, I sometimes prefer being quiet, but there are times when you have to. So, but it, 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 it did cause for a lot of um, just poor choices in whether it was relationships and in, in friends even. Um, and I'm very thankful for the friends that you have. The true friends I have and family that I have that was always able to kind of steer me in the right direction. Um, so even in my my marriage now, I had to learn to speak up. And he, he, uh, that's a lot He tells like it is, and so but it helped me to speak up. It helped me to learn how to speak my mind and tell people how I felt, um, regardless even if I was worried about how they would feel. So um, those are the ways that I felt like trauma impacted me, and I'm still learning. Um, but thank God I'm much better than I was. Thank you. Y'all gonna make me cry. I'm already getting teary-eyed because I know the story, but go ahead, continue. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> cool. Is I'm it, are you, are you done? Oh. I'm, I'm done. So just to reiterate, um, I mean, just to clarify, <clears throat> play, um, the question was how has our traumas affected us in our living right and your choosing so your relationships um um with significant like your personal interpersonal relationship spouses that you've chosen till now all right okay so i i, I will go a little deep only because i believe that um there are a lot of people with the same with similar stories and i feel like deliverance can come through you know the testimonies of you know our craziness so yep when I was eight years old I was molested um, by a family member and I think um, not even I think now that I'm older I realize that my decisions even in my past relationships were based on um, my experience at that age so after that situation took place for about a year and some change, you know, and then, you know, our family members. And this is what I was, I was sharing earlier, like being reunited with my family member who I haven't talked to since I was like maybe two years old. It was like pieces of the puzzles that were coming together for me. Like, you know, I, I held a lot of resentment towards my father because um, it was his side of the family that did it. And, instead of him protecting me and instead of him fighting for me, I felt like he swept the situation under the rug. So even after my father had passed in 2010, I never really grieved my father. So um, I had a lot of resentment towards men. I had a lot of resentment towards men, but yet I would still um, look for love in the wrong places. Or like, you know, and I feel like that was, that was a seed that was planted from that molestation. You know what I mean? Like just very promiscuous lifestyle, sleeping with anybody, not even, you know, caring. And, um, you know, not until I, you know, found Christ when I was about 16 years old. And 
still struggling then, you know, but I started to, I decided to get serious after I had my son. When I had my son, um, I, I still was like determined on trying to make my life right with the person who I knew for me I, I knew the relationship was toxic from day one I knew it wasn't the ideal type of situation but because I saw my mother um stay in a a, a just a dysfunctional relationship I decided to do the same um not because oh okay this is dysfunctional let me be in it but I saw my mom raise all of us with my dad as he drank, you know, and I don't, today I don't blame my father for any of that. I realize now, um, by being in communication with that, um, long lost family member that my father was suffering from depression, which, because his, his brother was killed and his brother was killed by, and he felt like it was his fault. So yeah, we'll get into that another time. But yeah, from that situation now, you know, I'm starting to put pieces of my life together and realize that everything I went through and every, and I wish I had the help for my father then, which is why it's, it's such a, like a sensitive topic. Like when I think about it, I'm like, I wish I would have known about depression. I wish I would have known I could help my father back then. But, you know, but those types of things, like now being with the man that I'm with now, because we have similar stories, you know, he was, same thing happened to him when he was younger from a family member and it was swept under the rug, but our pain brought us together. And from that, you know, I think that we, we are, we are more compatible and we're able to pray each other through situations when sometimes when it's hard or when I'm feeling some kind of way, I'll tell him, listen, I think we need to pray this, this feeling of, you know, what happened to me when I was little is trying to come over me and we'll just hold hands and pray. It wasn't like that in the last relationship because the other person didn't understand. The other person didn't, you know, so, but yeah, that's my story. Can I say something? Because I just, hearing your story, I've heard it. Of course, I've known you forever, right? But there's some similarities in our story. So, like, with my dad, um, because, you know, I dealt with sexual abuse. And with my father, I didn't feel protected. He was a family member as well. Right. And so I didn't feel protected by him. And I didn't realize how upset I was with my dad for a long time until like recently. Um, just because of like the memories that I have, unfortunately, you know, that come to mind rather than the positive, I was thinking a lot of the negative. And then wanting a protector in that, like that was really important. And then kind of putting all that together. So hearing you say that, it's like, wow. Like, I just think as women, as little girls, like our fathers really, really, like, it's so important that we have fathers that are loving and protective because it's like that's what we look for in a man. It says a lot. So I just, when I heard you say that, I was like, man, that's pretty neat. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think that um, both of, well, all of our stories are pretty similar. Um, I think that you're right. I mean, having someone to protect you um, as a, as a, as a little girl, like you do seek that throughout your whole life, especially if you don't have that. Right. And, you know, there are people who, I mean, it's that, you know, fight, flight or freeze. Right. So when you don't, 
when you don't receive the protection, when you don't receive um, what you're actually looking for, there are some people who may freeze, right? Um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Fiza. You're more of a, hold up, you freeze, right? Fi two was definitely more of a fighter, honey. <laughs> yeah. I was a fighter. I've joined, I've joined Fight Two on a couple of runs. We ain't, we ain't fight all the time, but we, you know, we wanted, I actually never fought, but we, we went with the intent. Um, so the intent to stint. No, mercy said no. Um, <laughs> we've done that. Um, and honestly, I'm a runner. So, <laughs> the whole fight, flight, or freeze. I'm flight, you're freeze, you're fight, which is incredible to me that all three of us are friends and um, we brought that together. But thank you for real for sharing your story and from, for considering this a safe place to share that. Um, I want to I wanna ask you, so we spoke a little bit about, um, about Abraham, right? And that was like some of what we were talking about, about protection and how that changes, right? So when you haven't had that type of protection, when I think about Sarai, right, before they even left, and you have to think about the time, right? Like the time in which Sarai and Abram were married and living. And women didn't have any protections. They just were kind of bought and sold, right? <laughs> like you give me your goat and you have my, <laughs> you have my daughter, right? Um, and so... And so I want to know, how do you think um, that, what were your opinions on what we were talking about the other night while preparing for this, when Abraham or Abram at the time went to Egypt and said, hey, pretend like you're my sister. What do you think and become in from going to, from going from a family where there was no protection into a marriage where you expect protection and you don't receive that? How do you think that affects a woman in their relationship. And if you have a personal story, you can also follow. Um, you wanna go first, Faisa? Sure. To you. Uh, so in terms of Sarai, Abram, Sarah, Abraham, um, I feel, I felt like when I heard it, I felt like, you know, I think that people, when you see people in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, there's a pedestal with someone and you know, they were human. And I know that your prophets, and that God spoke to them, but they were human, you know. And so Abraham, as a husband, no, I don't think he protected her and thought of her. I mean, you can see that clearly when you read it, you know. And um, so it just reminded me of that their their human nature, just like mine, and the fact and um, how we are to not really look at these figures in the Bible saying this is how my marriage should be, this is how we should be. We should look to Christ. Because Christ is the, you know, his love for the church is supposed to be the model of marriage anyway. Um, so that was one thought. And then for me, um, in my, like I said before, like, protection was a huge thing. Like, having someone that could make me feel safe was huge. And I had to kind of get out of that because I was, like, for my husband, I would put um, certain expectations on him. That he wouldn't even really, like, he was, he was so oblivious, he didn't even realize. Um, so I think there's, there's some of it is some level of where husband, you know, needs to step in and protect his, his wife and children. But I think as well as women, um, 
when we come to a marriage with trauma already, um, then it's important that we communicate so we can assume that they are going to be, because they're not our savior, they're not our rescuer. You know, and I, I show you that's, that's where, you know, that's, that's Christ. That's not another man. You know, he can't protect me in the sense that I really need a protection. He protects me every day, you know, but what I was feeling is really needing wasn't like a human love. It's the void that Christ has. That's key. And that's, and I, I think that's the point, right? So when we talk about, um, when I talk about what's happening in relationships, I talk about from singleness to even after to divorce, right? And so that's true. Like you have to heal yourself and become whole. It's not that you bring two halves into, into a relationship and then become whole. You have to be whole on your own because then you come in into the relationship with all of these expectations um, of a person who does not have the same background as you, right? And do n- and they do not have the same trauma as you. And if you're not um, someone who's been in the field um, for 15 years, like me, like you're not even thinking about that. Like I wasn't the person when the beginning of my marriage who had been in the field, I wasn't thinking about that. I was just thinking about what you weren't doing and what I expected, right? So yeah, I think that's that's a that's a dope way to look at it. Go ahead, too. Um, so just looking at that scripture and like you said, like in the beginning of the series, you said, um, that the times were very different. I think Sarai, you know, cause it was more so to protect her husband. And if I can compare that to today, if your husband was to come to you or if any one of our husbands or future husband or whatever would come to us and say, Oh, if you don't do this, somebody's going to kill me. You know, I think the first reaction would be, oh, well, I don't want you to die. I love you. You know what I mean? And I think she did it out of love. I think that a part of her really did, you know, love her husband. And then given the fact that she was potentially, she was in harm's way because this dude would have wifed her up and he would have slept with her if God didn't reveal himself to her. So I think even now, like if you think about relationships, um, we do put ourselves in situ or well, our spouses could put ourselves in situ put us in situations that may cause us to be endangered, whether it's with another man, whether it's with another woman, like other relationships, you're sleeping around and you can bring back some S T D and you know what I mean? Is I feel like even today it's still very much the same situation, same scenario, but different time, you know? And I feel like a lot of women accept um, a lot of things because of fear of losing that person that they love, especially when you, um, I don't know, it's, it's kind of hard. I like, I don't want to say anything out of context, but you know, when I think about Sarah and I think about Abraham and I think about that particular scripture, it's like, God or an angel was speaking to them, telling them she would bear the promised seed. So your husband is kind of telling you to do something and you're listening to your husband because you know that he's a man of God. So you're not thinking that he's going to stir you in the wrong direction. You know what I mean? So I don't know. It's kind of, kind of a tough situation, but yeah. Well, this is I don't what- know if you can come. Huh? <laughs> so this is what I was hoping for. Okay. Yeah. So I have a question. Mm-hmm. So if that if that is the case, yeah. 
why did he do it again? Would he do it again? Or if like why did he do it again? Because here's here's my thing. Um, in the Mm -hmm. beginning, you know, you go to into a new city and you're like, you know, I have the call, right? Mm -hmm. And I have the I have this call, and. I've lied to these people and said that you're, you're my sister. We've gone through this thing, but then I protect, I put my life on the line for my nephew, literally put my life on the line. Like I went in swinging with 300 men, swinging yeah. for a few lot. And then I put your life on the line when I know what, like it, I do it again to you. Do you just see what I'm saying? It's like, for me, I wonder, like it would be different if he did it one time, but it was a practice. But if you think about it, right, you think about today, if you allow something, guess what? You're opening the door to give that person the opportunity to repeat the same thing. So I think that, you know, all respect, all due respect to God in the scriptures. But if you think about us being women and the relationships that we've been in and the man will go out and find somebody or whatever the situation may be. Oh, I'm sorry, baby. I'll never do it again. And then we accept it. So now that we've accepted it, we've opened the door because now it's like, okay, well, she forgave me the first time. So if it happens again, she'll forgive me again. So maybe, you know, yeah. So if you think about it, that could be the case too. And, you know, again, remember, he was still a man. You know, he, he, didn't, he wasn't like you know, at the level of God or something, like, he was still a man in the day. And so, I think as a husband, he fell short in some areas. I mean, I think it's we read it. And I think, you know, just like, you know, in relationships now, men do things, um, some things are, you know, obviously a lot more um, detrimental to a relationship, but still, there's sin, there's mess up to do things, you know, sin against each other. And I think he just didn't, he, he did the same thing. And yeah. she, you know, and, and I think the last, I don't know if it was the last time or the second time, where it wasn't like she, and I, I was trying to re- make sure I read it so I could really get a good understanding um, from that perspective, like a relationship. And she said it as well. So it wasn't like she went and she just was like, you, and was like, okay, whatever you say. But she was like, yes, this is my brother. I mean, in, in a sense, you know. It was. It was, yeah. and on different levels. But um, yeah, I think it was just a combination. I think it's like we grew up. I'm sure reading these these um, accounts and saying, "Okay, wow, this you know these people were so perfect and they were so this and that because God was speaking to them, using God was using them, but they were still human. Like they were still sinful people. You know, I mean, and I think that's at the end of the day, that's what it is. You know, I I also think too that the roles the understanding of the role of a wife was absolutely different. You know what I mean? It's like, like what he was requiring or expecting from his wife, Sarai, he was not expecting or requiring from Locke. You know what I mean? So that's probably why that whole, I protect you, my my nephew, but you know, when it comes to my wife, that's her responsibility. That's her job. Maybe that, you know, maybe that's like, they had wives. They had wives. They had uh, what, concubines. I don't know what they're called. Concubines. Concubines. I mean, there was a lot of. Uh, I, I just don't think they had. They didn't have the right or the respect that we do now. That we are privileged to have now. 
you know, since they were found like property or they belong, you know what I mean? Like it's very different. Well, I think, I think that's true for, um, I think that's true for like Solomon or David or like they had multiple wives, but I think for, I know for Abraham, Sarah was his wife. You know what I mean? Like it was just that Sarai, Sarah was his wife, but I do believe I, I hear what both of you are saying because you're right. Like, you know, back then it's like, well, I mean, well, was that her duty though? Like my other thought about it was, you know, if, if, if we look at it from the standpoint where Sarai was supposed to be, um, like this silent, um, kind of do as I do as my husband says type woman, then why then was she in, you know, after a lot, like, because the way that I viewed it was, you know, you do this and I accept it, but then you go fight for your, for your boy, you put your life on the line for your boy. And then you come back and I'm like, so wait, what, what happened? Like if God gave you, if this God, right, because you have to remember, they also um, worshiped other gods before they left um, Abram's house. So if this God that you are serving has told you to do X, Y, Z, why can't this God then, why can't this God then um, help us out of this situation? One, right. And then the second thing, and the second thing I think about is why then did Sarai go from being like the church mouse silent to giving direction that was outside of what God originally said? And then Abraham just took it. So she's like, now she's taken over. And to me, that's the trauma response, right? So if I'm supposed to, as a wife, if you're supposed to protect me and you've proven to me that you're not going to protect me and I can't get out of this marriage, I have nowhere I can go, then I need to start making moves for myself. You know what I mean? Like, and so that's how I view that. What do you, what's your take on that? I mean, the trauma, yeah. I mean, I, I've been there. So like, Certainly, because you feel, I mean, I can't say for sure, but it, it could make sense because you dealt with trauma and you feel like you don't have control, you figure out a way to have control. And, yeah, I definitely, I definitely feel like Sarai's um, faith was shaken and her faith in God, her faith in her husband, um, you know, it was definitely shaken to the place where she did have to stop. And, but you think about us today, we do the same thing. We believe, we believe God, we go before the altar, we say, yes, God, this is my husband, we make all these vows, and then the minute something happens, we're like, oh, well, I think I need to stop making moves on my own, because what I said, I didn't really mean it, because <laughs> I didn't really think it was going to happen, you know, but then when you're not seeing the promises come to pass, you kind of get, you know, get weary and you, you waver in your faith. And I think that's exactly what happened to her, you know? Yeah. And so like, um, I think, like you said, that happens now. Like we, we get married and we, we go into these situations and these relationships and these marriages and these covenants. And I, I remember, I distinctly remember, and I said it several times, several times, because I was like, I remember praying like before my marriage and I know, don't y'all laugh. But I, I remember praying like, God, I really want to be submissive. <laughs> like, because I was like, you know, I came from like my mother was, if you really think about it, because I'm adopted, I came from, you know, Bishop Pauline Benton, who 
you know, when I was born, her husband had already passed. So she was like the the overseer overseer of our church it was her like she was you know the one in charge and then my mother was always the one in charge and then I get adopted and there's this woman who's the bishop and she's always the one in charge so I'm like God please just make me submissive right because I want to go into my marriage submissive but I always said to him now I'm gonna follow you but you ain't finna leave me in no ditch <laughs> like I always said that to him I'll follow you but I ain't finna follow you into no ditch. And so that was the thing. Like, if you, like, what is it that, um, what I viewed what happened as like this, it's a, you go into survival mode. Like I now have to protect the promise. Right. right. Yeah. And so, and so I always found that pretty, pretty interesting with Sarai. So I also want to, um, I also want to, so, so I also want to bring up, hold on, because my computer went off. I also want to bring up the insecurity that comes with that, right? So now I've created this situation for myself because I tried to do it myself, right? And now I've brought, you know. A surrogate. Yep, I brought, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to keep it, I'm going to keep it 2020. I brought Megan Thee Stallion in, and now I'm like, why are you always in <laughs> Why are you always the hunting? Like I'm just so think of that. Out of all people, I <laughs> came to my mind. I think that's why it's so important that we're trusting in the sovereignty of God, like bringing everything before God in prayer. You know what I mean? I have, I have really. I mean, it sounds so cliche. You can be like, oh, just pray about it, you know. But like, I have really like live in that. Like, I would say it and not do it, and try to do things myself and make a complete mess. Yep. And then, like, step back. Even when it's stuff like, I'm like, man, this is really not right. Could be I'm sinned against. Could be you know whatever. And I'm just like, I'm gonna I'm gonna pray about this. I'm gonna let God handle it because we we aren't we aren't in control. I mean, that's just what it is. You know, it's not. It sounds cliche. It sounds so cliche, but it's so real. And not that it's. I, I agree with you, Pfizer. I don't think it's cliche at all. I just feel like, realistically speaking, even a man of God, a pastor, a bishop, a deacon, or whatever. I think there are times when we go before God and we pray about certain things and we don't see things happening and we grow weak in our faith. And I feel like it can happen to anybody. And in Sarai's, and I believe God allows these stories to be placed in scriptures because it's something that can happen to anybody. You know what I mean? And these were men of God, women of God who were around during the times where God would send the lightning down and strike you on the spot. There was no, there was no um, advocator or, or there was no, uh, like Jesus wasn't there at the time. So he could not intercede on our behalf. So I feel like with her in her situation, yeah, maybe, maybe even it got to the place where Abraham lost faith too, because why would he agree to do what she's requesting if he if he was believing what God was and God was speaking directly to him. Mm-hmm. So maybe at some point he was like, you know, but I think it, it's possible for all of us. I mean, we can say, yeah, we'll pray. I, there's been times like even now, and I feel like I've been closer to God than I've ever been in my entire life. But there's been times where I'll pray and I don't see an answer. And I'm like, oh, well, God, you know, and it's, it's not that God is not answering. It's sometimes he tarries with his answer. Mm-hmm. It takes a little while, you know? So. Or his answer is not what our answer is. 
Right. And we don't right. that. But I think it's true. I mean, you know, he did, he actually did lose his faith too. He did. He even, um, I want to say it was after the lot situation, he was just like, so you set out yeah. your son, but you got this, you know, I got my, what is he? It's like his, like his best guy next to him, his best man or whatever. It's like, is this person, was it Damascus? Was that his name? I can't remember right now, but he's like, mm-hmm. I have this person. Is this person going to be the one who inherits everything? Like, that's not what you told me. And God spoke to him again. Um, and so that was not his name. His name could not have been Damascus, honey, but being with a D, I feel. But I do want to talk about the insecurity, right? So we spoke about a little bit because I believe that you can be re-traumatized in your marriage, right? I believe that you can come in with trauma, but you can be re-traumatized. And I believe that, you know, some of the trauma, I believe that Sarai came into her marriage before she became Sarah. I believe that some of that trauma, you know, one, you know, not being able to, to speak for herself, not being... Um, not not be, being a barren woman is traumatic in of itself. That's an insecurity, right? Two that um, I'm gonna need you not fix the camera in the middle of the show. Ooh. Sorry. No, this and is I, it's funny. Okay, so and I and I so. Um, and so, yeah, so the insecurity of already being a barren woman, but then God gives you this, like, this, this, this dream or this vision, not really a vision of, or this word that you should go and this is what I'm going to do for you. So it's like, am I really included in that? And if I'm included in that, then why don't I feel like I'm included in that? I feel left out of everything. And it's a re-traumatizing, it's re-traumatizing, even if I messed it up. Like, even if I brought Hagar into the situation, I still feel traumatized by that. So my question to you is, where, where in your marriages um, have you come into it with a trauma, right? And then was re-traumatized, and you don't have to give very specific if you don't feel comfortable, but re-traumatized by something that actually happened in your marriage, even though it was your own doing. Like, you, you ended up becoming the person who was like, the toxic person in your marriage and you're now both toxic to each other and doesn't mean that your marriage had to end because of it but just you're both toxic to each other and you had to then learn to fix that because they never learned to fix it as we will talk about very soon they never learned to fix it right Kaiser, you want me to go yeah all right so um for my previous marriage, not the marriage that I'm in now, because I think that was like a good um, practice run <laughs> for the marriage that I'm in now, my previous marriage. So I feel like, um, so going back to my childhood, like, you know, and all of, you know, our my childhood trauma that was swept under the rug, I feel like my mom felt guilty. So she kind of, she, I mean, she did her best. She worked several jobs to keep a home, like a roof over our head to make sure we had what we needed. But at the same time, we were spoiled. We kind of got away with a lot of stuff. So in that, um, I didn't really learn how to cook till I was like my second child in. I would try and I can make like the basic stuff, but not like a meal, meal, meal. So not to say that that's an excuse for a man to step out 
of his marriage and go cheat. But that was part of the problem, you know. Um, I was a person that, like, I would clean, but I wasn't a clothes person, like, to wash laundry and do all that stuff. Like, the clothes, you take care of that and you cook the food. But that now, like, if we think about the roles, like, the understanding of the roles, that was supposed to be my role to make sure that I do the laundry and then on top of that work and then on top of that be a wife and then on top of that be a mother. And I fell short in many areas. So that I could say I played a part, you know, because of me being spoiled, me, um, so to speak, feeling entitled or kind of like, well, I don't have to do it because, you know, you a man, you do it, you know? And I, I think I developed that attitude over the years. Like, I just had like a resentment for men, even though I was still sleeping with them and I still married a man, but I still had like something in me was like resistant towards them, you know? So I think like a lot of that played a part, even though there were many other things on the other end too, that played a part. But for me, I realized that moving into my new marriage, like into this current marriage now, like to come to compare it, not really that I want to compare it, but like now I am more submissive. Now I do make the effort. And now I do, like, if I don't know how to make it, and there's more resources now, you can go on Google and find out how to make anything. You can learn how to make lasagna. You can see it and, and do it yourself, you know? But back then, there wasn't really much. So it was like, okay, I'll try to throw it together. But if you don't eat, you don't eat. That's it. So, but yeah, so that was my part that I had to play in that. Hmm. I would say that um, in my relationship before I got married, um, I think that, you know, he was really good at, like, saying the things that I, that he knew I wanted to hear, um, whether they were honest or not. So, uh, although he was uh, cheating a lot, um, and he was always really good at saying the right thing, right? He was really good at kind of manipulating me and so I was really used to man now, like flattering my ears, you know. Um, and so when I got married, my husband is very, he's just very black and white and he tells it like it is. So, you know, he'll say I'm beautiful and all these things, but he's not, he's, he's just, if he doesn't like something, he's going to say he don't like it. If he doesn't agree with something, he's not going to just say these things to flatter my ears. And so going into it, I was used to that. And so I was like, Although some some of his some of what he says is like unnecessarily harsh, but I also just assumed that I just wasn't used to that type of personality, and so I would go into it feeling um, very uh, very hurt and carrying a lot more um, like expectations again on him, like what he should be saying and he should be liking this because I did it, he should accept it because I said it, and you know because that's what you can do with your wife, like. Um, and so it took a long time uh, because you know I'm 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 a sensitive person um, in some ways, so you know my feelings would be hurt left and right all the time. And I was you know beginning I was like I would be crying all the time. And I would be just my feelings would be hurt. And um, he didn't get it because he's just like, what? Well, I'm just being honest. You know, this is just who I am. And so you know it took a lot of my mother called. Um, marriage she compares it to potatoes so she says that like when you get to a place you want you want your marriage to come back to you so she would compare like you know you have two sets of potatoes and eventually they mush together 
and that's who you want to be. So we were definitely two separate tales for a while, you know, especially in the beginning. And um, I had to, not only did I have to kind of let him know, you know, this is what you don't say, this is what I don't like, um, but I also had to stop assuming and I also had to understand that this is the way he communicates and he's not trying to like hurt my feelings. He's just a really honest person. And so it wasn't, I wouldn't say until maybe four years ago that I realized that a lot of what was said to me before was manipulation. Like it wasn't like honest. It was just like, I'm saying this because I know you like it and it kind of gets me, it helps me to get away with something, you know? And so um, once I was able to see that, then I was able to see more clearly, like when people speak to me, if they're just being honest and some people aren't very gray and they just say, say it, it's not necessarily like they're saying, they're coming from a place of hurt or, um, I'm sorry, they're coming from a place of like, I don't want to hurt you, hurt your feelings. Like they're just speaking and learning how to, um, that words are just words because I, I would take words very, very, very deeply. But realizing like words are just words, someone, anyone can say anything they want, it doesn't necessarily have to affect me. Um, and so, you know, that was a big thing in our marriage. Um, and it's gotten a lot better because I've, learn to either let him know, like, okay, this isn't cool, you can't, I don't like him to say that, or, um, you know, he just feels free to speak his mind, and I don't, it's not with me kind of learning, like, Ooh, like, what are you saying, or why are you saying that, or, you know, so it opens up the communication. Um, so. Right. That's a perfect segue because my 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 thing was, you know, I believe that where Abraham, Abram or Abraham and Sarah um, what we can learn from them and their relationship is that when you feel uncomfortable, that's the time to speak those feelings, right? Like that's, it's not a time to hold those things in until you get aggravated or you try to fix it yourself and then you just kind of go off on somebody. Right. And so like going into anything else that I'm ever in, into my next marriage, my final marriage, my last marriage, when I'm when I meet my man, um, going into that, I want to make sure that I am, I am communicative, that I am, um, that I speak my mind and not, and not so much that you don't always have to speak your mind in a way. I've learned this <clears throat> from my friends that you don't always have to, <laughs> to speak, just, just tell everybody what you think, but that you can do it in love. Um, and say like, you know, hey, you know, this is how it's affected me and this is how I'm feeling. Um, if I was Sarai in that situation, like, hey, you know, Abram, like, I really felt unprotected in that moment. Saying, like, naming the feeling. Because how else can, how else can your husband or your spouse um, know what you're needing, right? Because it's one thing to just say that really upset me. But it's another thing to say, I didn't feel protected. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? And so I want to know going into your marriages and from those toxic relationships, what you had to divorce before being in those marriages and what you even had to divorce within your marriage to get to a place that will get to the place that you are now. Like, what did you have to divorce? Because most people think that this podcast is just about divorce, but it's really in any, you know, before, during, and after your relationship, divorcing things to get to a place of wholeness and healing. So what did you have to actively divorce 
before and during your marriage to get to where you are right now to, to you know these beautiful perfect marriages that you have because they are beautiful it's definitely not perfect but um for me um i would say i had to divorce myself i had to divorce my way of thinking i had to divorce my trauma from that relationship and realize that this is not the same person this person did not do these things to me. So I cannot take it out on him. And there's been times like he just wouldn't understand, but, and I would purposely, purposely, I think you guys remember, I would try to push him away all the time. I'm like, what does this dude want with me? Like, I don't want to marry this white guy. What do you want? Like, leave me alone. And like, I would purposely take off my, like, just keep my hair ragged, no makeup, just be like, <laughs> <laughs> my head. and he still was there and that just proved a lot to me and the fact that you know when he came in our life and I already had three kids from the previous relationship and I would work third shift and he'd be like go sleep go sleep I'll take them and take them like did things with them that their father wouldn't do with them so I was like God what, what you up to what's going on right now and I remember praying that prayer I'm like father please don't let me make this mistake. If it's a mistake, don't let me do it. But so I just had to like also divorce my, um, just uh, like that um, materialistic, like like what we want and desire. And it's not, it's not a bad thing to want a particular type of person, like a five, like a six foot nine or black, tall and chocolatey and uh <laughs> muscles and all this it's not a bad thing to want those things but if you are completely um basing your whole like idea about a relationship on a person's appearance you are definitely going to miss out on a good man and you know I remember like just thinking like okay he is a little shorter <laughs> he is a little rounder but I love him <laughs> But yeah, and I, I, you know, I came to that place, like it was, it was the word of God that really, that was already in him, that every time I had a situation or a problem, he never was coming at me. It wasn't like what I was used to. He never would come at me like, oh, okay, what you want to come through? You want to, you know, and what you, what we used to, you know, we, the men, if they want something from you, they'll let you know, just like sometimes this like discreetly and sometimes they'll be forward like, oh yeah, I want he was never, ever on that time. So I think just divorcing that ideology, like that idea that I had about what I was expecting in a man or what I wanted in the physical and just, you know, that was it for me. Um, for me, I would say like going into the marriage, I, I didn't go in prepared at all. We got married after like, I mean, he says he remembers me from like way back in the day, but I remember him three months before we got married. And um, so there was a whole lot of baggage I brought into the marriage. <laughs> um, but I would say that one, because I went in with a, um, with a, I think what kind of two or three, I believe, going in, um, although his dad was very, you know, he was around and stuff. I was still very much like a single mom mode in a sense. And so, um, I, so I had to kind of let that, some of that go because, um, 
I have, when it comes to my children, I tend to be kind of controlling. Like I say, I'm very protective of them. Again, past trauma, you know. So um, that's one thing I had to let go of. Um, I also had to let go of my, um, just some of my free-spirited ways where I wasn't really paying attention to, um, like, for instance, like culture and the things that are really important to, like, his family. I was completely oblivious. It wasn't out of, like, it, it was complete out of complete ignorance because I just was just kind of going about my, my life, like, not really paying attention. Um, although I cared for people, but not really paying attention to um, a lot of really important things. Um, I don't really know how to explain it, but I, I had to really just open my eyes and kind of stop being so naive and um, see what was really important when it comes to family. Because growing up, our family was very different. You know, you didn't have certain norms that you had to to abide by or whatever you just did what you wanted to do. And so um, that was one thing I had to definitely learn and kind of let go of my own feeling about it um, because I didn't really like it at first. I really disliked it at first. Um, but I've come to really respect it and appreciate it. Um, I learned a lot actually from it. Um, I also had to, I had to um, divorce uh, some of my insecurities, um, both of me, because that really, you may feel, you may think that it only affects you, but it really affects your partner tremendously because you it's if you're not showing up as a, a confident person, and that doesn't mean you're stuck up or you're all about yourself, but just you're confident in just what you're doing. Um, a lot of men don't aren't you know they're just not fond of that, and it, it's kind of turned off to them because it's like you know they want someone who can buy they want someone who can buy them, not behind them, you know. And so I had to really like just in the Lord thankfully encourage myself to say like you're good enough you can do this um you don't fall short all the time like you're you're okay God, whatever the way God made you and created you that is okay you know and I also had to accept love because I didn't realize it but I really struggled accepting love like real genuine love um and really feeling like that is that's genuine from the other person so, I mean, I feel like my marriage really stripped me of a lot, and it has stripped me, but built me up. Um, and I know that um, as difficult as it has been at times, um, that the, it was the Lord's doing. And um, I'm grateful for who God has shaped me to be, and I've you know, continued to grow. Um, So um, finally, just from from different perspectives, I know that, you know, within your marriages, even though, you know, you've divorced some things, I know you still get, you're still triggered, right? Whether it's past like relationships or you're even from your childhood trauma, what do you do when you're triggered? Bring me through the, bring everyone through the process, right? Of what you do when you're triggered. So I'll just give you an example, right? So, you know, um, some of the tools that we, um, that I've, um, thank, thankfully God has blessed me to come up with was trigger checking. Right. And so when I talk about trigger checking, I think about, you know, asking yourself, what am I feeling in this moment? So if I'm feeling anger, right. What's underneath that, right. Because there's always a different emotion underneath anger. Anger isn't the first emotion, 
it comes, anger is the, the outward cry of an inward ill, right? And so what are you feeling under that? Are you feeling scared? Am I feeling embarrassed? Am I anxious? Am I sad? Um, and then what are you even feeling under that? Because it's getting to the root of the issue um, in that situation that I'm feeling triggered in um, in order to then express it to the person that I'm with. And so I wanted to know, like, what are some of your steps? So I'll give you just a couple of steps. I know that. So mine, uh, step number one is that you reflect instead of respond. Right. And so I don't always, I've learned to not always um, immediately respond. I've learned to be more flexible um, in my response. Um, you, <laughs> you definitely want to pursue instead of prune. And I know that a lot of times, like I said, for me, I'm the runner out of the three of us. So I'll just block you. <laughs> I'm just like, I ain't got time for it. Black. Um, so I tried to, um, I'm learning to be uh, more receptive of the person's message instead of just cutting them off and moving along because that's how I protect myself. Um, I acknowledge instead of accuse. And so it's important in, in relationships. Um, and Fatu, don't get mad at me, but we just, Fatu and I just went through, we always go through some, but but I love you though, and that's why you're my sis. Um, but we we just went through something. We both had to acknowledge our own thing um, instead of being accusatory, and then come, so that we could come back together, right? So I've learned to acknowledge instead of accuse, um, because that's really how you get to a good place, um, and to take responsibility and restitution. So I believe sometimes, um, I believe sometimes, like we. We, we don't like to take the, we can, we can acknowledge that something has happened, but we don't take the responsibility for what's happened. We're the triggered one, right? Like, it's not like no one else is responsible for our triggers. Like, we are responsible for our triggers. And we are respons we're the responsible, responsible person for explaining why we are triggered so that our partner understands and so that they can properly respond. Um, and so... When I think about that, I'm like, even even in my even with my ex-husband, like I have to say, like, you know what? I have to take responsibility for this. You were right with this one. I was definitely wrong. Um, and I have to get like definitely um restore him in my mind before I can even get to him. Because if I come to him and he's no and he's not been restored in my mind, I'm coming to him kind of like, okay, I'm sorry. Um, but in my head I'm still thinking like, but you really shouldn't have went to the store and not gotten the zucchini that I asked you for. Cause if you would have asked me before you left, like it would have been like that's like like I have to restore him before I get to the conversation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um and then the last step is to triage and treat. And so when I mean that and I know you get I know you get that reference triage. Um but to triage and treat um because like I know that a lot of times we get really excited about all of the healing that we're doing that we tend to want to heal 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 a bunch of stuff but it's like we can't heal everything in one moment and we have to we have to get the bleeders you know like we have to take in the most critical situations at that time and attack especially if it's a situation where 
you know, we're, you know, we're in a heated discussion, like we have to attack the actual problem and fix that bleeder instead of attacking the little dumb situations that came up and, you know, with that problem, like, and you said that you didn't like the way I swept the floor either. So that's insensitive too. Like, that's like, come on, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So those are the way in which, in ways in which I've learned to trigger check myself. Um, and so I want to know, like, what is your active, like, you know, what is your, um, what are your, what's your method for trigger checking yourself within your marriage? Anybody can go first. Okay, I'm go first. Um, so I would say certainly, um, you said like kind of stopping and not responding. Um, I am definitely an emotional responder. And so um, when I start to feel kind of like my, my heart is like racing, I'm just like that, that fight or flight feeling um, I'm learning to be still in that and pray. Like that, that's just, I can't say enough. And it's been tremendous for me. Um, and also, um, I'm, I avoid it by staying present. Um, because as soon as I start thinking ahead or I start looking back and collecting on mistakes or whatever, it's no good for me. So I try to stay present and I enjoy life so much more. Um, so, did you ask, like, what our triggers are? Or no, 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 just how you handle your triggers in the, like, in the moment. Like, what do you, yeah. to give other people kind of, like, idea of what to do? Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I definitely have a lot of different triggers. And I, so, um, so I'm doing, um, so I, I do meet with a counselor, um, and so one of the things that she um, spoke to me about was, there's like certain questions that you kind of have to ask yourself, like because sometimes we have this idea of what's going on, it's not reality. So it's like kind of checking like your reality, like is this really what this person is saying? Is this really what this means? Um, so sometimes we can have like extreme, like this always happens, this never happens. They're always doing that, that kind of language. And so it's kind of like checking that, like okay, really what's going on? Is it more how I'm perceiving it or just actually what's happening? Um, for me, uh, because I'm not supposed to always speak up, I mean, yeah, I'm not always supposed to speak up, so sometimes it's for me, I have to, um, for those who are more reserved and aren't so fiery, like, sometimes you have to kind of work yourself through, okay, you need to go and handle that, um, with certain situations, because sometimes you have to speak up, um, so when you your family, sometimes you just need to do that, um, sometimes you don't. Um, yeah, and then also, um, I would say, if you're one who is concerned about how others see you, which is something that I struggled with, still struggle with sometimes today, it's just remembering that, you know, if, if you're if you're in the right, like, if you know, if you're really checking, you're examining yourself, okay, did I do something wrong? You know, maybe you're trying to figure all that out. You know you have it, and that's something that's really making you feel anxious, like, you know, what are they going to think of me if I do this or whatever? Um, remembering like that is really not important. Like, if you know that you're not, that you're not out to hurt that person, um, then that's their issue. And, you know, sometimes if it's someone in your home, like your husband or your older child, or whatever, and they just have an attitude, that, that they're going to have to deal with that. 
that, that's on them and you can just go on about your business and learning to kind of ignore the just some of the Nazi behavior and don't make it your own. Don't carry their stuff. Because a lot of times they'll move on and you'll still be carrying it and you know. So definitely. Thank you. Yeah, so I think for me I still struggle. I still struggle even in the relationship that I'm in now. Like, cause, like I said, the spoiledness, the entitlement. Like sometimes if I don't get my way, I could still respond, not ungodly, but just more like, well, I'll shut down and I'll deprive him for a little bit, for a few days. But it's not the right way to go. And I realized that. So just to really quickly <laughs> give an example. Um, so he, my husband works with like a lot of different people that are not really from the same uh, spiritual background. So he had a phone call one night and the dude was like, I saw some girl's titties. And I'm like, I, I'm listening. I can hear the conversation. And I'm like, just waiting to see his response. So he starts laughing and I'm like, so I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. So he gets up, he, he's like, you know, he knows I heard it. So when the guy finished talking, he's like, yeah, it's some Puerto Rican jugs or something like that. And I'm like, so he hangs up the phone. I said, um, what are you doing? And he's like, what do you mean? What am I doing? I didn't do anything. And I'm like, you're a man of God. You should have shut that conversation down right away. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he's like, so my my response was basically I wasn't looking at it like from the standpoint, like, okay, he knows people that don't have like these people are not. They're not really into the things of God and they're not Christian. So and he works with people like that and he kind of leads those guys. And so if they call him, they're gonna have some type of inappropriate conversation. And I've even been in situations like that, but my response is different and not like I'm holier than thou, but I kind of like, mm, I'll laugh about it or whatever, but I'll keep it moving. Like, so they'll know like, okay, maybe she doesn't want to have that kind of conversation. So I kind of was expecting him to respond the way Abraham, no, not the way Abraham would have <laughs> responded, but the way a man of God would have responded which would have been like, oh, well, brother, uh, my wife's here and uh, we can't have this kind of conversation. So I can't, I had to come to the realization, like, this wasn't really, like, this this situation wasn't really his fault. But after he kind of, he kind of went off on me and I went off on him about scripture and, you know, the things of God and how you should set the example and blah, blah, blah. What? And I, That's- yeah. Yeah. right so I caught myself and I was like you know what honey you're right it really wasn't your fault and I think that I was kind of looking at it like how would I respond and maybe my response isn't always the best response because I never want to make somebody feel especially if somebody's not into the things of God like I'm into I don't ever want to make somebody feel like I think that I'm better or you know I always want to have a lifestyle that would attract them to the things of God and not really turn them off about the things of God. So I get where he was coming from. And I think after some time, he was like, let's pray. And I was like, I'm praying with you. You just sat there and I just didn't talk about some Puerto Rican 
boobs. And so it was, it went on for a little while, but then we came back together and we decided to pray. And I th- that's one thing I thank God for. If you have a husband or a wife that can look at a situation and kind of like reflect on their action and really be like, okay, let's, let's come together. This is why I did what I, you know, kind of talk through it. So I thank God for him because yeah, the last relationship would have been like, well, he said what he said and that's it. And if you don't like it too bad, but this, like he was more sensitive to my feelings, but he really wanted to make me see where I was going wrong as a believer too, you know? So yeah. I like that. I like that because it's true. I mean, we are, that's, that's, that's kind of how you bring people to Christ anyway, by, you know, befriending those people who are not, you know, in the same boat as you, or they don't live the same life as you and you just kind of showing them the way. So I like that. I mean, he wasn't talking about Puerto Rican movies. He was- I know, but I was sitting right there and he's over there laughing. I'm like, hello. <laughs> he's probably like, he probably was in his head thinking like, you don't know how much trouble I'm finna be in after I Wait, get- no, wait. Then I saw his messenger and he was like, you just got me into so much trouble with my wife right now. Oh. And I'm like, oh, so you want to message your friend and tell him that he got you into trouble? <laughs> yeah, but that was just like a little example. So I was like, what do you think the pastor would do if... if <laughs> so I'm like comparing pastor. him to the pastor. Like, yeah. That has to be his own conviction. I mean, he has to feel right. Like- so no, but he he understood what I was where I was coming from afterwards. But he was like, yeah. but you gotta understand. Yeah. I, not everybody that I talk to are Christians. Yeah. What happened, girl? Nothing. Yeah. Like in the middle of in the middle of recording, she. Oh my god. It's eleven eleven. Make a wish. <laughs> <laughs> Random. is not said that. Okay. Oh my god. Yeah. But yeah. No, I I love I love that. So, um, I just want to thank you both for contributing to this episode of With Love Divorce, and um, we're ending the audio portion right now. Um, again, like I said, thank you, Michelle. Wait, hold on, wait. Michelle Fatu Stewart Bennett. That's right. Because that's the legal. That's right, baby. <laughs> and um, Fiza, I'm just going to just say F. Marshall. Yes, <laughs> I'm pretty warm too. F. Marshall, thank you so much. Um, uh, thank you for your friendship and thank you for um, speaking into the lives of people uh, who are just like us and who are either married or single or even right now could be in a toxic relationship um, and giving them tools to help um, them get out. So thank you. Um, so that ends our audio portion. Um, we'll be back next week. And so this is Thank it. you for having us. Thank you.